Howdy dream cowboys. Welcome back to the second episode of the fan-driven Westworld recap podcast. Today we're going to be recapping and reviewing Westworld season one, episode two, Chestnut, directed by Richard J. Lewis and written by Jonathan Nolan and Lisa Joy Nolan. I'm James. And I'm Ryan. And this is the Westworld podcast. I liked this episode, but I have to say, you know, it did not blow me away the same way that episode one did. The, uh, the podcasts that are on the internet right now, and uh, James, I'd say there are, I think there are five or six hundred. that I counted, hundred Westworld podcasts that are on the internet. But the main complaint about them is that they're just like fanboys and they're not actually giving reviews. They're just saying that it was real good and then moving on. So let us today be a force for good. This episode was pretty good, but it was not great like episode one was. Episode one was the pilot was basically a masterpiece, I'd say. I mean, for what a pilot is going to be, it's it was... Uh, selling us on the show and it did that uh 3.3 million people watched the premiere of the pilot the biggest pilot premiere on hbo since gosh since a little bit so uh a good amount of people watched it which i was like i was poo-pooing james i was like pretty sure that nobody was gonna watch this but i was you know wrong yeah and while we're on the topic of viewership and everything, I've got to say the response to our first recap episode has been overwhelming. Thank you so much to everybody who listened. Yeah, like way too many people, right? Like too many for comfort almost. I'm, <laughs> I, like, like I, I has me nervous doing this episode. Like, yeah, just don't, don't be different now. Don't be different now that you hit the limelight, Ryan. Yeah, you're still Jenny from the block, all right? I always will be. And the actor who plays Peter Abernathy in episode one is following us on Twitter. He had his choice of podcasts, and so, so do you. you. And and he and you chose to be here with us, and I think you made the right choice. Yeah, I'd like to send a personal shout-out to uh, uh, Louis Hertham, the actor who played Peter Abernathy in season one, episode one. We even said last week, I thought he was the best part of the episode. Oh, for so, sure. Yeah, you uh, you owned that episode if you're listening, buddy. Yeah, you're great, dude. Um, yeah, you know what? We're not the fanboys that season one, episode two needs. We are the fanboys that the dude who plays Peter Abernathy one needs. <laughs> All right, so uh, before we dive into it, this episode, first episode, of course, directed by Jonathan Nolan. This is uh, directed by... Richard J. Lewis. Richard J. Lewis, who is uh, of CSI and person of interest fame. Yeah, he got hired because he knows Jonathan Nolan, because Jonathan Nolan created Person of Interest, and he knows J.J. Abrams because J.J. Abrams produced Person of Interest. This is going to happen a few times where Jonathan Nolan basically had a TV show that was going to be like the AAA for Westworld, you know? I feel like I should have seen Person of Interest, maybe, that would have been required viewing for watching this show, but I mean, I I gotta admit, I never heard of it until, until we did our cast and crew episode. It's a pretty good show. It's weird. I don't know. I liked it. So jumping right into this week's episode, we start again with someone monologuing over a scene with Dolores. We hear like, wake up, Dolores. Do you remember? And she's kind of like walking like groggily out of her house in the middle of the night. And then we get a, we get a rough cut from there. And uh, I, I didn't really know what to make of that. It's just more, more Dolores shenanigans. Last week, there was a post on Reddit showing every time Dolores woke up anew. And uh, it would go from, like, optimism on day one, and then it would, over time, be optimism. A little more sad. A little more sad. Angry. A little angrier. So every time she was waking up in the morning, it's just her... The spectrum of emotions is changing daily for Dolores. She is going through whatever metamorphosis she's in very quickly... And one of the manifestations of said metamorphosis is that she keeps walking outside during the night towards the woods and standing there while 
someone talks to her in her head or in real life. We're not very sure yet. And it's very ominous. In the next scene, William, played by Jimmy Simpson, who I think maybe that's both of our favorite actor in the show, right? Yeah, um, uh, Liam McPoyle from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, one of my favorite comedy side characters of all time. Jimmy Simpson is great. (laughs) Also, person of interest alumni, correct? I mean, who wasn't in person of interest? Uh, We also know him from uh, being the hacker guy from season two of House of Cards. Oh, yeah, he was great in that. Yeah, I enjoyed that. He had a a pet chinchilla. Yeah, and oh, God, they threatened that chinchilla a bunch. Either way, moving forward. Yeah, he wakes up on, uh, I think it's a a passenger train on the way to Westworld with his friend, acquaintance, frenemy, Logan. And right away, we get a peek into their dynamic because... Logan's kind of joshing him about being uptight because Logan makes a sexist remark about the uh, the the flight attendant or the, the 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 train attendant, I guess. And William's like, "Come on, man, knock it off!" And Logan's like, "Come on, live a little." Yeah, Logan is a dick. You're supposed to get that right from the beginning. And the other guy, uh, William slash Billy, played by Jimmy Simpson, seems like the guy that the audience is supposed to relate to. He's the main character that makes sense or the character where you'll see the most change over time because he was cardboard at the beginning and then becomes a three-dimensional character by the end of it. Or at least that's what we all hope. Yeah, William also kind of comes off as like a Mary Sue a little bit. He's like a little bit too nice. He's kind of a white knight character. Yeah, I mean, it feels like, though, it is slightly based on peter and john from the movie yeah because, but more extreme i'd say yeah they're they're on opposite or they're farther on the spectrum than uh john and peter were but i mean john was very lackadaisical and you have no idea what's about to happen and just let go man it's gonna be great and peter was like i just don't know what i should feel and all the things from <laughs> home about the the things from home that are very important to me and what should have and and then you know, Logan comes in like, those things don't matter. And then William's like, probably, but I disagree. You know, it's- right. whereas John was kind of nice about it and Logan's like a dick about it. He's like, come on, man. You don't even know what to expect. Yeah, that is the main difference. John Blaine was a gentleman and wonderful. He was a man's man. Just a nice, respectful man. Logan seems like a dick. Sorry to everyone who didn't watch the original Westworld movie. We'll, we'll shut up about it now. <laughs> I won't. Logan's a dick, dude. So arriving at the Westworld terminal, I guess, they both kind of get escorted away by kind of concierges. Williams is like this beautiful blonde girl, and she says that she has to ask him a few personality questions to better tailor his Westworld experience. And they're kind of weird questions. When they get off the train, you can see that there are hosts waiting for everybody who is on the train. One host per one guest. And immediately, they are selling this place as pure magic. This is Disney World on steroids. This is going to be the best thing that's ever happened to you. And it's right from the beginning. The uh, I assume the host that you get is kind of based off your sexual orientation. They give William slash Billy a straight white male, a straight white blonde robot. I don't think you could call the robot straight. I'm assuming the, the gender roles don't apply to them. But it's so very specifically tailored to what William, the character, they think he wants or think he needs. And at one point, he's basically like, I don't know. And her response very much is, there's no orientation. There's no guidebook. Figuring it out is how it works. And it's half the fun. Right. And they kind of, they give you your outfitting in one room before you go, you've got, like, your choices of vests, of boots, of guns. And she says, like, this is all specifically tailored and sized for you. This is all personalized for you. So, goddamn, this trip must be expensive. It's $40,000 a day, I oh, want to say. Oh, good to know. So I would never be able to afford to go to Westworld. <laughs> no, and what I want to know is, like, because Logan and Billy are talking about work at some point, and they, when they're talking about their jobs, kind of, it sounds like their jobs are, like, high-profile, intense jobs to have. 
because Logan's like, if you were better or more bullish at work, it would work out better for all of us. And who's to say this isn't work, man? Um, I'm doing a lot of voices today <laughs> that aren't actual voices. But I didn't get my getting dressed montage. I wanted one real bad. But um, it's okay. I mean, instead, I got that the blonde robot was really trying to come on to William. William was like, no, thank you. I'm a weird and nerdy. Yeah, and he, he, she, he was, she was like, so why don't you get undressed and put on your cowboy clothes? And he's like, oh, I'm, I'm nervous to get undressed in front of a robot. Yeah, and he's like, are you a robot? And she was like, well, if you can't tell, does it matter? And her, his face was very... Yeah, a lot. It does so much, man. Tell me if you're a robot. But also, you're definitely a robot. Um, and then she explains, you know, the guns can't hurt people. And then at the end of it, she was like, you know, if you just wanted to stay here for a little bit, I would have uh, no strings attached sex with you right now if you wanted. Which, one, I guess everyone on the future train that's going to Westworld is just waiting for everyone to stop having sex with the hosts that they were given immediately. And two, how many people just don't get on the train and stay in their dressing room and have sex with the host for three or four days and like, God, oh no, I've wasted all my time. It's funny, you said they sent away William with like, you know, his one pretty girl and that's for him, right? And Logan goes off with a guy and a girl, so. They know, they know what he wants. You know, yeah. it's very, it's specific. He just likes to bang multiple robots simultaneously. It, it, you, you can't blame him. So down in the lab, Bernard and the female technician who is named Elsie. Elise. Elise, Jesus Christ. It's Elsie. <laughs> <laughs> so down in the lab, Bernard and Elsie are still talking about the way Peter Abernathy kind of broke down. And they basically pinpointed that it's definitely the reveries that are causing these malfunctions. Elsie's worried that the malfunction might be, like, contagious, which that's a nice reference to the movie. Yeah. They the Computer virus. It's, it's like uh, Independence Day. You know, humans get viruses. Computers get a computer virus. And then I'm going to shoot a Coca-Cola can off a alien ship. <laughs> Uh, and she's worried it especially may have spread to Dolores, but Bernard's too chill about it. He's like, nah, don't worry about it. So Elsie plays the girl who that one time said everything's going to go badly and no one believed her. That's her role. She is the lady who warned everybody and was like, hey, I think all of these uh, robots are going real crazy. And then everyone was like, no, Elsie, you're an idiot. Far be it from me to say, James, but I bet she's right. Could be. Could be. It, it absolutely is. So it almost, She's almost <laughs> definitely right. If she wasn't right, this show would suck. So back in the Sweetwater Town Square, Dolores is like still hearing a voice in her mind saying, remember. And she seems to flash back to a memory of a bunch of hosts being killed, maybe in some kind of special event. As she's just kind of standing there vacantly, Maeve comes by and tells her not to loiter in front of her saloon. And that's when Dolores gets a real creepy look on her face, whispers in her ear the same thing her dad said to her. These violent delights have violent ends before walking away, which absolutely goes to what Elsie was just saying. It, it definitely seems like that is the vocal cue to spread the start remembering shit you're not supposed to virus. In Dolores' daydream that Maeve kind of breaks her out of by talking to her, she sees a bunch of dead people on the ground, and she sees that wolf run by. We don't know the significance of the wolf yet, but we know it's some marker for something. You know, it's going to mean something sometimes, so just remember there's a wolf. Insanity um, wolf. Yeah, and it, oh, it could be insanity wolf. That's true. And then Dolores says that, cue to Maeve, which is very obviously, <laughs> Maeve basically steps back and is like, I'm changed now. So yeah, Dolores isn't keeping this to herself. Anybody who walks up to her, she'll say this phrase too. She, she'll just say it willy-nilly. It doesn't really matter. And it's like a virus. It is the virus, I believe. That phrase seems to be what is unlocking what is basically a computer virus. The same thing that happened in the movie, except for now, we are now getting to see it live spread. Maeve is like, I don't understand what you just said at all, but I will keep that with me. 
and maybe use it later when something awful happens. Yeah, and it kind of shoots into the foot my theory that like she's already woke and that she's already Neo because if the virus is having this effect on her now, it probably means that she isn't awake to the reality, so maybe that theory is a bust. Yeah, but it's happening. Like, you you know that it's happening. There's no... Dolores isn't getting better, I'll say. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, Jimmy's all dressed up. I think he looks pretty cool, huh? He looks great. His name's not Jimmy, though. No, his <laughs> name is Billy or William. But, you know, I think we got it. <laughs> uh, but he has one last choice to make, and this isn't just an aesthetic choice. This is, you know, how other characters are going to interact with him. He has to choose a white hat or a black hat. Right. A white hat representing good guy, a black hat representing bad guy. He picks a pretty dope white hat. Obviously, William's going to be picking the white hat. Logan, uh, not surprisingly, in a black little stupid hat that I hate. It's a real dumb hat that Logan has on his head. I believe William made a perfect hat choice for his character. White, uh, cream white, really. Really great hat. But you could tell, like, the hat selection room is where you gotta be clutch, man. You gotta come, you have to have some confidence and you just gotta go with your gut because it might be the most important choice you have on this entire vacation. I'm saying if this is $40,000 a day, I'm probably never coming back to Westworld. I don't want to be constrained in my moral choices. I can wear a black hat and then still not to do evil shit. But if I put on a white hat, now I've got all these expectations. I'm going black hat. Sorry, oh, me too. Yeah. No, no, yeah. Sorry to nobody. A black hat all day. If it's $40,000 a day, I'm only going to be able to get there for what I assume I've stolen from a bank. So, <laughs> um, like two or three days in Westworld, black hat all the way. See you in Vegas, idiots. So he goes through this bright white hallway from the trailer, steps through like the ornate Western style door, and. Flash, he's suddenly on the train to Westworld, and it's all old-timey, and now he's mingling with some hosts and some newcomers, and it's pretty pretty sweet scene, actually. Yeah, you don't feel like it's a train at the beginning. It looks like he walks into the back of a saloon, and, uh, and then eventually the saloon starts to move, and you're like, saloons don't move! Uh, so it's a train, and then Logan and William are basically having the conversation of, like, you have no idea what this place is like. Logan has been here a lot of times. Way too many times, it seems. Not as many times as uh, the gunslinger or the man in black. But he's been here a bunch. Uh, enough times where William is like, we can do the, uh, these things or these things. And Logan's like, all of that's bullcrap, man. There's a bunch of stuff you can do. Every single person you talk to is going to have some sort of quest line that you can do. But right? it's very important you pick the right one. Because if you pick the wrong one, they're just going to suck. It's going to be, oh, you'll think it's fine. It's the first time you're here. But believe me when I say, I've been here a bunch of times. And they all suck. Um, and then <laughs> at the end of that, Logan's like, you have to answer the question and then William uh, is like, "What? What's? What's the question, Logan? Tell me what I should feel." And then Logan goes, "Who you really are." And then William's like, "Got it. Good." Yeah. And as they say that, the the train passes through a tunnel and into like the Westworld kind of biosphere, and you see the beautiful scenery. And finally, William's kind of apprehension kind of goes away, and he looks excited, and they. They clink their glasses together, and it's a it's a nice little closer to that scene. Biosphere. Someone's been playing Minecraft. No, man, I was thinking Biodome with Polly Shore. And a Baldwin. Don't forget, you can't forget the Baldwins. So back in Sweetwater, some outlaw who we've never met before is about to be hung by the sheriff and his men when... The man in black. Can we address that really quick? I mean, I did say it in a weird, stupid voice earlier. So yes, we can address that now. So before the show premiered on IMDb and on Wikipedia, and I swear I saw in other places more official than that, his part was listed as the gunslinger. And now it's suddenly changed to the man in black. And I liked the gunslinger better. Not only was it a callback to the movie, which you and I can't shut up about, but it's just, it's a better name than the man in black. Wait, is Will Smith going to show up next? Uh, only if you give him about $20 million. He's very expensive, James. <laughs> but yeah. So from here on in, I suppose we will address the gunslinger as the man in black. Uh, begrudgingly. 
Yeah, it is dumb. I don't know if they're trying to uh, separate him from Yul Brenner or the movie. What I assume they're doing is trying to separate the Man in Black from the Gunslinger. Even saying Man in Black right now makes me feel stupid. But they're separating the Man in Black from the Gunslinger, assumably because of something we don't know about the Man in Black. There's some character attribute that is going to make him not like the Gunslinger. So either he's a robot and they're not telling us he's a robot, or he's a person and we're trying to be led down a road where we're supposed to think he's a robot, or... Because uh, there is and are a few theories out there where the uh, man in black, I keep wanting to say the gunslinger because it's a better name, um, but the man in black is still a robot for some strange reason. But either way, he comes up on Lawrence, my man, the uh, the control operator from Pacific Rim and a great character out, uh, a great character actor who goes by the name of I'm looking at Lars right now. And, oh yeah, no, Lawrence. His name is Lawrence, but he's played by Clifton Collins Jr. Did you just say Lars? Yeah, he calls him Lars the whole episode. He does? Oh, well, his name is Lawrence, and I (laughs) guess he must call him Lars or Lawrence. I'm going to call him Laurie just for fun. Oh, Lars is Um, a nickname for Lawrence. Uh, it's a, it's, yeah. And the man in black knows all these people very well. They're all his great friends. So he meets, he meets Lawrence. I almost just said Lars. I'm and... going to call him Lars. You can call him Lawrence. It's fine. Okay, I, I will. <laughs> um, in a uh, a great scene where the man in black is acting like he can't be shot, because he can't, he kills everybody, including the sheriff surrounding Lawrence. And uh, Lawrence has one of the greatest opening lines I've heard from this show, or from many shows, in my opinion. And it was, and I quote, Motherfucker! <laughs> he throws him the scalp from episode one and he's like what what the fuck is with this why are you throwing the scalp it's real gruesome man why would you do that the men in black says that is the maze and it's gonna lead me to the lower part of the world and you're gonna help me find it and then so yeah, a few go. things right there number one that little that that design is a maze Okay, that's information we know now. A maze, or whether that be a metaphor or not. Two is that it wouldn't it make sense if the man in black was a robot and he was trying to get into the control area to like meet his maker and murder him? Because in the instance where the man in black is a human being, I mean, why other than like for the love of the game? do all of this. It has to be for the love of the game or something else we just don't know yet. But either way... Yeah, I I have one theory about that. Maybe we'll wait to the end, but if he is a robot, like, how come he can't be shot? Was he a special robot, you know? Yeah, but they're they're purposely leaving it up in the air as of right now, I guess. So yeah, the, the Men in Black ties a rope around that guy's wrists and starts dragging him behind on his horse yeah my note says i don't know who that motherfucker guy is but his life is about to suck i bet inside mave's saloon she's kind of telling her backstory to one of the newcomers apparently she came to sweetwater from england seeking freedom uh well none of this really happened because she's a host in the middle of this monologue she starts to have this violent flashback to something horrible and she isn't really able to finish what she's saying. And so the newcomer, the guest just like walks away from me. He's like, well, I guess this conversation is done. Yeah, Maeve freaked him out real, real good like. So she has a monologue. She basically has one monologue. And it's the thing she says to a guest to try to get them to sleep with her. And it hasn't been working as well lately. Um, she has been uh, saying this monologue over and over again that Lee Sizemore wrote for her. And it just it hasn't been getting dudes into beds. So um, w- from there, we kind of port back to real life where the technicians are upping Maeve's aggression to see if that will do it. So well, down in the maze, they're giving her a diagnostic check to see what caused her to fuck up her monologue whoa, they, whoa whoa are we calling the technicians place the maze i i, I thought maybe we could uh, try that out <laughs> whoa are, are you saying the maze is the underground uh thing that's the connection i drew yeah 
Oh, and then at the end of the maze is where, like, Robert Ford's office is? Perhaps. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't think about that. Maybe. Hmm. They get her to finish her monologue, and then they decide to tweak her sexual aggression up. They're like, well, maybe that'll, maybe that'll fix this, 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 uh, this lull she's been having. So Bernard and Dr. Robert Ford, they're also kind of discussing the malfunctions in that awesome 3D printer room from episode one. And Bernard wonders if it's some kind of sabotage. James, I'm going to ask something from us. Can we please, every time we say the word sabotage, can we whisper it every time? I'm going to, just for the rest of forever. Uh, I think it's just funnier and better that way. So uh, let me put your sentence in a, in, in, in a better light, James. Bernie is pondering what might have happened to Peter Abernathy. And while in the middle of his pondering, he thinks it might be sabotage. Right. But Ford insists that these kind of unfortunate events aren't sabotage. But they're a symptom of, you know, the complicated nature of the world they're building and the people they're creating. And you're just going to have some hiccups every now and then, you know? Right. Occam's razor and Robert Ford is insane and sabotage. Logan and William arrive in the town of Sweetwater. They bump into the angry shoulder check cowboy. (laughs) I I like that one. That's his job. He shoulder checked Teddy Flood when he came in. Teddy Flood was very like, keep walking, large man. I am just Teddy and I'm here to die. (laughs) And and Logan with his stupid hat hits him and shows uh, what you can actually just do if you want to, which is yell back at that man with no regard for your life. Uh, they walk by some Union soldiers who are trying to recruit people into the Civil War, which makes me wonder what year it is. If you say yes to that quest, do you just go on a war quest for a week? Are you in the Civil War for a week if you I'm, say yes I'm to that? I'm sure that's a huge market of people who are just like, yeah, man, I'd, I'd want to do Civil War recreation to the max. I mean, uh, you would have to go to the park with that idea, though, because if you do the Civil War quest, I don't see a version of that where it's like, oh, yeah, that's only a day long. And then you go back to Sweetwater and can do whatever you want inside the West World that you're paying $40,000 a day for. No, but if you say yes to the Civil War thing, you're going to be in a trench for two weeks and you're going to be real mad about it. They both get hit on by Clementine Pennyfeather, but like everyone else, they just kind of, you know, they pass her by again. Yeah, Penny Feather still looking for the dick, still ain't getting any. <laughs> Some old man host is like lying deep down in the dirt, and William wants to help him up, but Logan's like, no man, don't. If you talk to him, he's gonna try to get you to do some stupid ass quests. Let's keep going. Dolores catches her reflection in a window, and this is kind of where uh in from the trailer you said that it was kinda like the red dot test, and it is kinda like that actually. You can yeah, you, you I get mean, a sense that she's she's like oh something something's weird about me in this world. Just in case uh, nobody listened to our trailer reaction, which <laughs> go do. Um, Dolores is doing something uh, in this scene, I think, called or something to the effect of called the red dot test, which is like. They put a red dot on a monkey's forehead, and then uh, like a chimpanzee. And then that chimpanzee looks in the mirror and then touches their forehead, letting you know that they know the red dot is on them and not on somebody in the mirror. Like, the mirror isn't some other chimpanzee, it's them, which shows that they have self-awareness. And it helps slash works on, like, chimpanzees and other primates and, like, crows. And now, Dolores is on the same level as a crow. (laughs) She flashes back to this interview that she had with Bernard. Somewhere in the maze, Bernard is asking her about the interaction she's had with other techs. Specifically, if anyone had altered her code. Maybe this is about the sabotage. But she says no. Bernard then asks her not to tell anyone about this conversation. She's like, why? Have I done something wrong? He's like, no, I just don't want it to get around. He's like, she's like, have you done something wrong? Ooh. (laughs) Ooh, buddy. At which point he's like, yeah, go ahead and just delete this from your memory bank. How about that? He's like, oh, boy. Okay. So Bernie's having special little private talks with Dolores. So he knows that she is... I don't think he's having special little private talks with uh, other robots. He knows Dolores is kind of the epicenter of this. And he's trying to figure out what's going on without talking to anybody else. The thing you do if you want everything to go wrong. 
And he knows Dolores is special. And then he knows that she or he can't tell anybody about this, probably and including Dr. Robert Ford. But it is from these conversations with Dolores that Bernie keeps pushing the, I think something might be wrong. Uh, not as He doesn't think it's as wrong, or at least when he's talking to Elsie, he says, like, nothing's wrong. But um, it is these conversations with Dolores that make you think, Bernie does know something is wrong. He's not going to say that to Elsie, even when she's just like, no, seriously, dude. He's not going to say that because he doesn't want to. he doesn't want to spread any panic or something to, like that. But he knows something is wrong, or he wouldn't be having these conversations with our friend Dolores. Oh, and by the way, at the end there, when he was like, please wipe your memory, the face that she made was very like, nah, man, I'm just going to remember <laughs> all this, thanks. <laughs> and then clearly she does, because she's like thinking back on it now. Things are going wrong, basically. Yeah, yeah. Back in the saloon, Maeve is trying to seduce a female newcomer this time, and much more aggressively this time. Kind of cringy, yeah, they, almost. They notched that aggression up, babe. It, that's what happens when a bunch of dude technicians are like, we know what make women better. More makeup, more aggression. She fails again. She talks with Clementine Pennyfeather. Best name. <laughs> about the bad dreams Clementine's been having, apparently. Maeve gives her advice on how she's able to wake herself up from bad dreams. She's like, you just count back from 10 and flick your eyes open. And I hate just... to be the bearer of bad news, James, but mm. she counts back from three. <laughs> Idiot. Shit, shit. Let's she... just start this over the entire podcast and wipe it, wipe it away. Yeah, with a new host. <laughs> <laughs> just as she's relating this advice, she has another like disturbing flashback. Then back in the map room... Bernard's discussing that, you know, Maeve's really slipping in her job duties. They're not getting enough, like, hooker money coming in. And so he wants to decommission her starting tomorrow. Which I was, at first, I was like, no, not Maeve. Yeah, they're not taking Maeve away. That was my first thought. I was like, that was like telling me that, no, Maeve might die. She might, she, her character might die. Like, you can't kill somebody who is in the front credits in the second episode. That would be ballsy if you did it. But they're not going to do that. Somehow Maeve is going to be staying. We don't know how. But yeah, Penny Feather didn't sleep much last night. She has nightmares. We're learning slowly but surely that most of these robots have nightmares. Even before we come back to everybody talking about how Maeve needs to be decommissioned, Teddy Flood is in the in the bar. He he's still in the bar because he hasn't seen Dolores outside to go like try to get with. That's his deal, but he hasn't seen her outside because she's like busy looking into windows somewhere. all day. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, she's just busy being insane. So he's there, and he knows something's wrong. He he looked at Maeve and was like, "What's your deal, lady?" And Maeve is like, I don't know, I just said my monologue and it's just not working. Teresa's having a smoke in a hallway somewhere. Bernard recognizes this as a sign that she's stressed out. And she is a little stressed out because management is really pushing on her and everyone else to roll out some new event and they want it to go perfectly. She asks him again about the malfunctions and he's like, nah, don't worry about it. Teresa likes to do a few things, James. She likes to smoke. She likes to be called a bitch. Uh, because she like begs <laughs> she was he, he was like how's everything going you like to be uh is your disposition any and she's like just call me a bitch bernie and he's like oh, okay uh no thank you and but you can tell she, she has like one face and it's concerned back in westworld it's some pretty cool looking restaurant logan and william are having their dinner they're having a drink they're basically talking about that they're having a pretty good time even william seems like he's he's chilling out when the old host from the street, he's like at the bar, he's like eyeing William, and William makes the mistake of looking at him, and then the host is like, oh, this is my chance, finally, someone's gonna do my super unpopular quest. Yeah, Logan's just, you know, he just wants to have robot orgies and do really cool quests, and William's just messing that up for him, and Logan's not having any of that. He's We're, we're gonna do the cool stuff, Bill, even as as much as you try to drag us down. So, William's kind of talking to the host. He's kind of engaging him a little bit, and he looks kind of happy. And Logan is just like, no, stop, go away, shut up. No, we're not interested. And it comes to the point where Logan just straight up takes a fork off the table and smashes it into the old host's hand. And 
the way that the old man host reacted totally made me feel bad. He's really in a lot of pain. Yeah, he just got his hand stabbed. Just for, He wanted to go on a treasure adventure. And because you said no, he gets stabbed? That's just a real bummer for him. And also, William's face is like, God, why, why, what, why, and also what? And Logan's just like, that's it, dinner's over, come with me. Smash cut to Logan having a bisexual orgy with three different hosts. <laughs> While yeah. right next door, William's like, alone with Clementine Pennyfeather. Best name. And then when Pennyfeather propositions him for the sex, he says, William, that is, says that he has something real at home, somebody real at home, which, like, stop telling the robots they're not real. Come on. And and then she immediately reinterprets that as, like, real love is very interesting because that's not what he meant. He meant non-robot. But she's like, got it. Love is a real thing. And I have to say that because you have to you really have to stop telling me I'm a robot and then William says no to her advances and I'm like why man just have fun I guess like unless he is in a actual straight up marriage at home and Logan's just brought him here to cheat on his wife or girlfriend which is might what it might be but if he is like the Peter from the movie He's no longer in a relationship, although we don't know that yet. And he needs, needs to he needs to he needs to unwind, man. And Clementine Pennyfeather, best name, just wants him to have fun. Yeah, so I watched this with my wife, and we both agreed sex with a sentient robot cheating. I mean, yeah, I I think it's definitely cheating. Down in the maze, narrative director Lee Sizemore is examining some new Native American hosts, which is for some special event that he's been planning, and he gets really pissed off, and he's lashing out at one of, like, the the host makers, because the, the Native American chief that he dreamed up does not look like the way he wanted to, he's really mad about the nose in particular, and uh, he smashes his nose with a metal plate, and the host just stands there not reacting. Yeah, he says, do it again. The uh, technician's like, I can just change the nose if if that's the part that you hate. And he's like, no, do it again. He throws a hissy fit and he throws something at the the, uh, host who is not on's face to make her do it again. And then he walks away. His job is just to be a little sad gnome who is always angry at everybody else, except for Teresa, who is always like, why are you so mad? And he's like, you know why I'm so mad. So Teresa asks him, you know, how is his new narrative going? And has Ford approved the narrative? And Lee Sizemore's like, Ford hasn't approved a narrative in like three years. I'm not running this one by him. Um, plus, he's old and crappy and he has to get out of here. They have basically the same conversation they did from episode one where they were like, Ford is old. He will be gone soon. Nothing that he says or does matters, which they are underestimating him a lot. Which I'm sure will come back to roost soon. Um, yeah, and, and and also maybe underestimating the audience. It's like, yeah, we, you know, we got this last episode. You you really don't need to drive it home again. Yeah, they they rehash their entire conversation, assuming I guess like not everybody watched the pilot, but like we 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 did. So we we're like, this is good. We really hit really hitting this one, making us believe it. Good, good, good. Robert Ford takes an elevator from the maze into Westworld proper where he runs into a little boy British newcomer, and uh, assumably, at least. Robert Ford basically plants his feet exactly where he believes they need to be to stand to get this young boy's attention. You can get the feeling that this is something that Robert Ford does more often than not. Coming into Westworld is a thing that I didn't think we would see from Robert Ford, that he just does whenever he feels like it. But I mean, I guess he is God in this moment and can do whatever he wants. So he puts himself in the place where the younger boy will pay attention to him. The younger boy is like, I'm off on this thing with my whatever family and and we're doing whatever and I'm bored. And then Dr. Robert Ford's like, would you like to walk with me and talk endlessly about my feelings and, and about this world that we're both a part of? And then the little boy is like, absolutely, I would. That's exactly what I'm programmed to do. So, meanwhile, the men in... Uh, the men in black. God, I hate this. Meanwhile, Tommy Lee Jones and Will Smith <laughs> are fighting aliens. No, but the the man in black is leading the 
the host, Lawrence, or Lars, if you will. I uh, won't. <laughs> blindfolded and tied up into what looks like a small Mexican-style village where they sit down to have a drink and they encounter Lars's wife and young daughter. The man in black monologues about how much he really admires the structured nature of Westworld. You know, he says the real world is chaos, but this world is order. He's still talking like a man who can't be shot. The Men in Black demands that Lars show him how to enter the maze. And when Lars claims ignorance, the Men in... And when Lars claims ignorance, the Men in Black just, like, point-blank kills his friend. Lawrence goes into a, a town that is... You get the... Like, you get to see more of Westworld now. There are definitely more towns than Sweetwater. And this is one of them. It's it looks like it's on the border between. It's like it's like right on the Rio Grande between Mexico and uh in Texas. And the man in black is threatening Lawrence's entire town, let alone family, let alone daughter, who he's like clutching. And in response, the man in black, in a really cool way, because he's so cool, murders everybody. <laughs> Yeah, pretty effortlessly, too. Like, he hardly breaks a sweat. The techs in the map room are watching this. They're like, yeah, the men in black is uh, killing a lot of people today. And uh, they ask if they should do something about it. And I think Ashley's like, no, that guest gets whatever he wants, which was a weird line. Stubbs and everybody else, at least in the security, apparently know who the man in black is. And he has been here long enough slash done enough things at this place that... He can do whatever he likes, and so Stubbs knows. But, um, you know, the man in black kills Lawrence's wife. He, he, he takes out his revolver, grabs two bullets that he's saving especially for, you know, Russian roulette. So after the big shootout, he puts the two bullets back in. He asks one more time, Lars, you know, give me what I want about the maze. And he's again, he's like, I, I don't know what you're talking about. Leave me alone. So the man in, man in black, really with no hesitation, bam, kills kills Lawrence's wife. After, like, dancing with her weirdly, and he's dancing with her, and he's smiling, and she's crying because she's about to die for sure. And then, like, they're done dancing, and then he looks at Lawrence, and then he shoots her in the head, which is just real disconcerting. Gonna need that thesaurus for uh, synonyms for disconcerting for this show. Gonna be using that every week on this podcast, the Westworld Podcast Weekly. And then he sh- he just shoots his wife, which is very much like, oh, wow, ouch, dude, that's... And I don't think Lawrence knew. It, I think in that moment when he get he shoots Lawrence's wife and is about to shoot his daughter, he, Lawrence would be like, "Okay, okay, I'll I'll tell you." But he, uh, Lawrence doesn't know. And then right as about he's about to shoot uh, his daughter, the man in black that is, the daughter says the line, "The maze isn't f- meant for you." Right. So she's clearly tapped in to the host side of herself. So she says, the maze isn't for you, isn't meant for you. And then it follows that up with, follow the blood arroyo to the place where the snake lays its eggs, which is basically kind of sounded like a clue, right? It sounded like, it sounded like clues are buried in certain NPCs, certain hosts, and you have to follow the line of those hosts and get the clues out of them to solve the mystery. And the man in black is in the middle of that very specific conquest. Right, and if that's a hint, it's he seems to understand what it means. I don't, um, but you know, I'm sure we'll, we'll get more of that in, in next episodes. For right now, for something preliminary, let's break both of them down very quickly. One, the maze isn't meant for you. To me, that I felt like that meant the maze is meant for Dolores, because she is the one. And uh, now that you said that you think the maze is the underground, the place where the Westworld offices, um, if that is true, then if Dolores is supposed to get there, but she, which she is there on a pretty constant basis and take over and, and maybe the maze is the way out. Like, there's just so much information we don't know that this is very all like, remember this happened because we'll, we'll let you know later. And then the second part, follow the blood arroyo to the place where the snake lays its eggs. I have nothing. I have no idea what that means. Do you? What is a blood arroyo? No idea. I should Google it. 
So after he gets this information, though, he seems pretty satisfied, and he doesn't leave Lars there, though. He he continues dragging him away somewhere. Which, why? His daughter was the one who knew the things. Why you gotta take Lars? Yeah, he's convinced Lars knows something. I have a theory about the men in black. I will save it. The man in black. Here come the men in black. Man in black. Robert Ford and the small British boy are at the top of a hill. The boy looks pretty unimpressed by the empty landscape, but then he watches Ford kind of like mind control this robotic snake, and suddenly he's entertained. Robert Ford spies what looks to be like the top of a destroyed church. Yeah, like a black chapel. And immediately his demeanor changes. He orders the little boy to go home, which the boy does like immediately and unquestioningly. Clearly he's a host. We know that now. Yeah, he's a host my best guess was it's like uh, Robert made a younger version of himself. Exactly. I was going to say that. Oh, you ripped it. You stole it. <laughs> oh, then never mind. Don't. No, go ahead. No, go ahead. You're right. I th- I th- no, no, nobody remember I said that. <laughs> no, I think you're exactly right. Yeah, he, he recreated himself to like enjoy the park vicariously or something. But he sees the black chapel and for a moment, Robert, he stands up and is amazed. I'll I'll dive deep into deeper into this later, but I feel like the Black Chapel is something that Robert Ford has been waiting for for some for someone to make. Like he's been slowly but surely trying to introduce some sort of religion into this world, or th- like it, that has something to do with it. And he himself didn't make the Black Chapel, but somebody did and it's based on something that he did you know you know what i mean like he has installed something new and it's worked and the way he knows it's worked is because he just saw that black chapel right now Mm, yeah i think you're on to something so that night bernard retires to his room which is pretty nice looking apartment for just like a temporary housing for staff and Teresa knocks at his door she tries to apologize to him for being curt when they met earlier when she was smoking, but he tells her not to worry about it. And they go to bed together, which is like, yeah, all right, Bernard's life isn't so bad after all. He's got a girlfriend. So Westworld headquarters has way too many escalators. Just way too many. He goes down to the to the housing where everybody stays, because as you know, all the employees have to stay there. They don't get to go home. They're on rotations. Although I don't feel like Bernie gets to rotate out ever. And then, and then the Teresa comes in, and Bernie, Bernie's getting laid, man. Like that—that that was truly surprising. Did not think that Teresa and Bernie were getting it on. Afterwards, they're having some pillow talk, and Teresa brings up the fact that hosts never shut up. They're like always talking. They even just constantly talk to them to, to themselves when there are no newcomers around. Yeah, and Bernie says that it's practice. They're basically practicing for future conversations. And it's like, I mean, yeah, or they're practicing for the revolt one day. Elsie and some rando bearded tech are down in the maze trying to fix up Maeve. Yeah, they're tackling the same problem that the two male techs from earlier earlier were tracking, uh, which is she's still not getting any poon and she needs to to be a viable uh, host. So what Elsie has decided, unlike the, the, the two boys from earlier, where she's literally like, and of course they upped her aggression like they know anything. And then she bumps their emo- uh, Maeve's emotional acuity, which she believes will make her more attractive to the men coming to see her. And it is at this moment when I realized that every time one of these robots is fixed... All that's actually happening is that whoever the technician is who is fixing them is projecting onto the robot by fixing them a certain way. So Maeve gets projected upon by these two male dudes who make her super aggressive, and then that doesn't work. And then she gets projected upon by Elsie, who is this, you know, softer, uh, small girl who gives her emotional acuity. So now she's more aggressive, but also has a higher emotional IQ. You're basically making a sociopath over time because all <laughs> of you have awful things wrong with you that you can't come to terms with yourself. So you're just projecting them onto these robots until they are crazy, evil geniuses who murder you. <laughs> that's my little I, rant. That's, I hadn't thought of that, rant. but it's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, man. Beardo Tech 
asks if the hosts have any dreams, and Elsie says, no, don't be dumb. It'd be pointless if they have dreams. Except for, yes, they do, also. (laughs) Elsie notices that there's some physical discomfort that Maeve has been experiencing, and so she schedules her for a tune-up that night, and she decides that she's fixed her, and she cancels the decommission, which is like, yeah. So Elsie believes that she has made Maeve boneable once more, and she is, Maeve, that is, is is grabbing her abdomen the same way that Teddy Flood is grabbing his chest, the same way that a lot of the, the, I believe the robots who are kind of coming out of it will be doing, they're remembering old physical wounds um, as well as old mental wounds. And Elsie says that he, they gave the robots the power or the belief that they can dream so that they can have nightmares or like if they forget to get wiped or if technicians forget to wipe them and they remember, you know, the awfulness that happens inside of the Westworld headquarters, they can just believe as robots that that's a dream or a nightmare, really, so that they believe in nightmares. But Maeve is having that nightmare more and more, and it is getting more vivid over time. Back at Maeve's saloon, her seduction monologue finally works, and she hooks some newcomer into banging one of the the prostitute hosts, which is like, yeah, good job, Maeve, you did it. Yeah, she talks him into banging Clementine Pennyfeather, which I don't even why you, why you have to you have to talk someone into that. By the way, best name. And then she turns around to get a drink because all, every time after she does something correct, she takes a drink to celebrate. I think she has a problem. And Teddy Flood is there, still hanging out because he hasn't been taken away by the love of his life because she's busy being an insane person. And Teddy Flood's like, "So you're doing better, huh?" <laughs> It's everything's going great. Yeah, and then in the middle of that conversation, some newcomer gets upset and just blows him away for no reason. So Teddy Flood dies a lot. Uh, I want to have I we should have a counter on this show. In fact, write that down for next week. We're gonna have a Teddy Flood death count um, because I think it's important and I think it will be going up a lot over time. But also in that conversation between Maeve and Teddy, Maeve talks about Teddy's past transgressions like he did something wrong in the past and that she knows about that Dolores doesn't know about and it sounds like something that Lee Sizemore would write like your your veiled past that Dolores doesn't even know about yet that night Maeve has a really strange dream she dreams of herself in a cornfield with a young daughter they're living a happy carefree life before they're attacked by angry Native Americans She and the child flee across the prairie to a cabin where she arms herself with a shotgun. She sees an angry native brave like out her window, like he's about to come in. But then when the door opens, it's the man in black uh, coming down on her. She tries to shoot him with the shotgun, but she can't. At that point, she realizes she's having a nightmare. So she does her three, two, one wake up trick. (laughs) And she's not in Westworld. She's in the tech room getting her physical tune up. And her abdomen's been cut open, and this is all going terribly. Uh, the two techs flip their shit. They're, like, really fucking scared. <laughs> They're trying, like, Where, where's her name? What's her name? Let's try to talk her down. Uh, she pulls the scalpel on them, and they're just like, okay, lady, whatever you want. Yeah, the situation goes from, like, n- uh, level one to threat level midnight immediately. Like, okay, just calm down. She grabs the scalpel. Shit, it's gotten real. Okay. She wanders across the maze. She ends up in this warehouse where dead hosts are being washed down and redressed, assumably to be thrown back into the park tomorrow. And this is so horrifying to her. She just drops to her knees in despair. And those two techs catch up with her, inject her with something which causes her to pass out. And they're like, shit, man, we gotta get her back. Good thing nobody saw this. (laughs) We're totally gonna get fired. So... Maeve is basically seeing the genocide of her people. Like, that must be what it feels like. It must be like she is getting uh, the veil lifted, um, at, like, in a, as someone who just goes to a concentration camp and is seeing what is happening. Like, that's, that's what she sees. And uh, I thought a few things. I think her nightmares are going to be different now. I bet her nightmares will have something to do with this and less to do with the other stuff. Although maybe just her nightmare that she currently has will be mixed with her being in the real world, which is uh, it, which is the worst nightmare of all time because it's, you know, actually happening. 
and she learns so much from from being uh, let loose in Westworld headquarters. Another thing is that she's very naked. All of them are very, very naked when they're when they're still in there, like they're all in the Garden of Eden. And the technician is like, "You forgot to put her in sleep mode, man. You got to put her in sleep mode." And then the other technician was like, "Man, I did put her in sleep mode. This is so. I don't know what's going on." Uh, and but for the audience, we're like, uh, "We know what's going on." Dolores said that thing, so now she just wakes up sometimes. She was put in sleep mode, but, you know, sometimes she just pops out of it now. I'm sure that won't be a problem. In a really quick nighttime scene, we get the rest of that Dolores interaction where she's wandering outside her home at night, and we see the end of it where she finds some kind of revolver buried in the yard, which uh, I, I watch these with my wife. My wife's theory is that is a real gun, which will operate normally. Uh, that is also my theory, so kudos to your wife lady. Down in the maze the next day, Lee is introducing his new storyline titled Odyssey on the Red River to the rest of the administrative team. He goes through this big presentation, and he seems so happy and excited about it, and Ford's just like, no. Lee Sizemore has said in this episode to Teresa that Robert Ford hasn't weighed in on a a storyline for three years so the question is why does robert ford now decide to tell lee sizemore that his new giant adventure is not good my thought is because he just saw that black chapel and knows something is coming some some kind of underground storyline that Robert Ford's been working on for a very, very long time that is now coming to fruition and the Odyssey storyline or any large new storyline would get in the way of would would just be would just be fluff compared to what Robert Ford is about to unleash on this world. But Robert Ford embarrasses Lee Sizemore in front of everybody. (laughs) Pretty brutal. All the board and then at the end Lee Sizemore is like which, by the way, I do not want to... I cannot call him Lee. His name is Lee Sizemore, his entire name. Lee is like, isn't there anything that you liked from this? And Robert Ford is like, what size are those boots? And then it smash cuts to Robert Ford now wearing the boots that somebody in the Odyssey, like one of the hosts from the Odyssey storyline were wearing. So Robert Ford just took the boots, told Lee Sizemore that he did a bad job and everything sucks. Well, right, Lee Sizemore is like, this guy's crazy and old. Can somebody just tell him to leave so I can do whatever I want, please? And Robert Ford's like, uh, not yet, dude. I got some secret plans and you're not going to mess them up. We get a really quick shot of William running into Dolores in the same kind of way that the man in black did when he like picked up her can of milk and uh, Logan pulls him away before he can get roped into whatever quest she offers. (laughs) Yeah, but uh, the audience knows that she's not looking for a quest or she's not looking to put William on a quest. William falls in love with Dolores from moment number one. Uh, it just, you see it in his eyes, you know? And my first thought was, that is unfortunate. If there is one lady in this place you should not fall in love with in this moment, it is Dolores. That will lead down some weird, weird roads. The one host that can actually kill you if she wants to. The one who has the gun buried in the backyard and wakes up nightly to make sure it's still there while a voiceover of the man in black plays in her head. Nothing's going wrong with her. Yeah, Dolores kind of looks at William. William looks at Dolores like he's in love. Dolores looks at William like, ooh, I can use this boy. Back at that black church ruin, we kind of hear Bernard and Ford having a discussion that, you know, management's going to be unhappy that he canceled the event at the last minute. And Ford's like, don't worry about it. I have something far better and far more original in mind. Robert Ford is building the foundation for the end of the world. And somehow that is uh, attached to, whether he knows it or not, by the way. And that is somehow attached to this black chapel and the new boots that he has. And um, Bernie in this moment is like maybe gaining a bit more respect for Robert Ford. Uh, Not respect, but like 
understanding that he still hasn't lost his step. Like everyone's saying that Robert Ford is crazy, but I mean, Bernie is with him in this moment where Robert Ford's like, yeah, that Odyssey thing, pretty stupid. I'm coming up with something real, real great. Uh, begs a few questions like, what does the Black Chapel thing have to do with the man in black? Are they just both black? Is that the only thing that it has to do with? The man in black, you know, did say in this episode that he's not going home this time. He's staying in the park for the rest of forever until he figures this out, which apparently he has gained enough money in his life where he can pay $40,000 a day to figure this mystery out or die before that. And so what does the black church have to do with the man in black? What does the man in black have to do with Dolores? What does Dolores have to do with the, with the church? What does Robert Ford have to do with all of it? Those are most of my questions, James. Yeah. Well, we'll get to theories in a moment. First, I just want to know, like, how would you rate this episode? We only, we can only compare it to the first one. It is worse than the first episode. Still pretty great. Yeah, still pretty good. Not, you know, not amazing in the way that the first episode was. There was a lot of like, remember this point that we made in the first episode. It's an important one. And then like, remember this. It's going to be important in a more interesting episode in the future. Trust me. There was a lot of audience coddling, for sure, which I don't enjoy. I like Game of Thrones because it does not coddle you. Or at least a lot of the episodes don't coddle you. But the episodes that you get coddled in Game of Thrones are the ones that feel cheap and sucky. And they're the ones that feel like filler. And this was this episode two chestnut was kind of, you get like, this is what the filler episodes hopefully will feel like in Westworld. Hopefully the filler episodes won't be worse than episode two was because it obviously wasn't filler. You're still learning a whole lot about the world. We need to, we need to set up, you know, this foundation, that for the entire show slash for the robot rebellion that's probably coming. But like, I don't know, you know, you, you, you got the, we met William, we met Logan, you know, just a bunch of stuff that had to happen happened. Yeah. And there were some standout scenes like when Maeve woke up in the maze was pretty awesome. And I really enjoyed everything with William and Logan in it. I enjoyed my favorite part of this episode was Lawrence's motherfucker entrance and the scenes with the man in black, Lawrence, and his, uh, you know, dead family. There was some great music throughout this entire thing. Uh, Radiohead? Was it Radiohead? Yeah, there was a Radiohead song in there. I forget which one. I'm not a big Radiohead guy. but Me either, but all I know about Radiohead is, like, they're very particular with where their music is used. And, and so, I mean, that's pretty cool that the HBO got them to use a song again, more modern music uh, in this show, which is amazing. I mean, nothing was, here's the difference for me. The scene in the first episode of the, uh, of the heist with the orchestral painted black happening in the background was one of the coolest things I've ever seen. And no scene in the second episode came close to that, but I didn't hate it for sure. I mean, like I just, you know, it was, entertaining i learned a whole lot about this world that i'm going to need to know later and that i should write down and that everybody should because this is one of those shows like game of thrones where they're like if you don't start really trying to put this stuff away you're going to forget the foundation and not get the little tidbits the easter eggs that are coming within the next eight years of your life with this show you know this is i feel like the second episode is going to be something we watch in like five years and go oh we should have seen that or we should have known from just the second episode this happened and really informed what would happen in the future so how about some theories i've got a couple if you want me to go first okay so next episode william meets dolores i think that's inevitable yeah and the demise of the human race begins (laughs) and here's my long my long shot theory on the man in black i got two of them okay one the Man in Black is a bit like uh, Slughorn from Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. He's basically oh. like, this is corporate espionage, and he's been sent in to find out something about the park or the hosts or something. Or maybe if if Delos exists in the show, which I'm going to go ahead and guess it probably doesn't, maybe he's like a spy sent in by Delos Corporation to make sure everything's running swimmingly and they want to do it, you know, under the radar so that Robert Ford doesn't know. Something like that, maybe. Yeah. And then my second one, and this is more wild and probably less likely, 
the man in black is an assassin sent into the park to pretend to be a newcomer, but find and kill probably Dr. Robert Ford. I I think it will probably end up being closer to your first theory, which is interesting. I hadn't thought of it like that, that um, the man in black who definitely knows the park has been there a lot of times, might have had a meeting at some point with the people, the higher ups who aren't Dr. Robert Ford and who are trying to push out Dr. Robert Ford and are like, listen, there's this inkling of this deeper level to this game that we believe Dr. Robert Ford put in over the last 30 years since, you know, the last critical failure, which let's all not forget about 30 years ago was a critical failure. We don't know what happened or why. And we're trying to push him out. And we think the way to do that is to kind of unravel the mystery that he's laid out for us, kind of figure out, get to the bottom of that and then push him out and get rid of him. And the way we believe that will be best done is by sending someone into the park for as long as they want with all of the resources that they can have, um, a la the man in black and probably maybe doesn't have to pay for it. You know, he just gets to stay there until he figures out this mystery for the people who hired him, which are the, you know, Delos and, and yeah, it's all to uproot Dr. Robert Ford from his job. That's interesting. I like that. I just expounded upon your theory, but I hadn't, I hadn't thought about it. And now that I have, that is an interesting one. I like that better than he's a robot. I right, so well, you got anything else for us? I mean, I, I think not on theory wise theory wise i i think i i've laid all of them down um i'll be interested to see how they infuse religion into this show and how that affects people watching it whether or not there will be an outcry just because like the black chapel is pretty ominous but there's a there is a cross on top i mean who is god in this moment and and what people in the park are going to be religious zealots and why um and how is that going to help the man in black or uh or thwart the man in black from whatever he's trying to do. But I mean, more so than, than that, I really don't have any theories other than, you know, Dolores is still very much the reason this is all going to happen. William is going to help her. I assume in some way um, that is going against humankind, but he doesn't know it. He'll think it's for the better, for the good of the everybody. But I, I bet uh, the last bit of hubris will be something that Dolores like, baits him into yeah there's just so much more hubris in this episode every time elsie says this is a bad thing everybody should know that everybody tells her she's crazy and there's just a whole lot of people overstepping their bounds to gain power over other people other hosts um etc i don't know it's we're we're stirring a lot of stories into a pot and we have to start right now keeping them straight all right so before we wrap up i just want to say thanks again everyone who's listening if you're just listening that's you know all we could ask for we're so happy with that if you want to go the extra mile follow us on twitter rate us on itunes that's so other people can help find us and you know if you've got a crazy theory send it in we'll discuss it on the show we want to hear what you think just my main takeaway is that i'm just i'm so glad it's still good and I, you'll you will hear me truly disappointed the first time an episode uh, drops from this show and it is truly crap. I swear to you, if that happens, I'll just actually say those words and not fanboy out and say that it was good. Uh, but you know, two good episodes in the bag and I'm still so super psyched to see the rest of this season. But thanks again for listening, guys. In the meantime, send us those wild theories and we'll see you next week. I'm James. And I'm Ryan. And this is the Westworld Podcast.